The Vape Passion Show, episode 61. In this episode, we're going to talk about an Eju's review of Legacy 650 from the Classic Vape Company, a vape and beer pairing of Legacy 650 with Here Goes a Nothing from Distilled Brewery, the Tobacco Control Journal attacks bloggers who criticize them, an old study that says nicotine was found in Zero Nick Eju's, electronic cigarettes can now be UL certified, Australia rejects an appeal to make nicotine containing e-liquid legal, and a billion lives coming to iTunes. Hey, welcome back to the Bay Passion Show. This is episode 61, and I'm recording this on Sunday, March 26th. So there's not a whole lot going on for me this week. Uh, I've been using the SigPet Eco 12 tank that I got from HeavenGifts.com. That's probably the best high wattage tank that I've ever used. It works great, and the flavor is great too. It's a, uh, it's I'm really liking it. Um, really though, work pretty much just consumed most of my time last week, uh, so I just didn't have time to open up any new products. Uh, test anything out or or even really work on editing any of the, the video that I've already uh, recorded. So I just haven't been getting a lot done lately. And unless you're a reviewer, you, you might not realize how exhausting it is to do reviews. It would be so much easier if I was still in my early 20s and I didn't have a whole bunch of responsibilities and I didn't have a family, a wife and a kid. But I do my best and I'm still getting these vlogs and podcasts out. So that's my main goal. Anyway, let's just get right into the vlog. So this week I want to bring back my occasional beer and vape pairing segment because I have a beer that I've really been wanting to drink. It's been sitting in my fridge teasing me. And I really shouldn't be drinking this because I donated blood this morning, but eh, it's just one beer. So I'll be pairing it with an e-juice that I haven't tried yet. So we'll talk more about the beer after I do a review of this e-juice. So the classic vape company sent me a few flavors of e-juice to review uh, from their Black Label line. And the one I'm testing this time is called Legacy 650. So just a little bit about those guys. The classic vape company is an e-juice company based in Hawaii. Uh, previously, they were only selling out of their shop locally, but they've decided to start selling e-juices online. And uh, so they're reaching out to people like me to review some of their e-juice and get their name out. Um, so they have three lines. Their budget line is called the Buck Banger line, which costs $4 for a 50 mil bottle and $20 for 120 mils. Uh, one step up from that is the Black Label line, which costs $7.95 for a 15 mil, $14.95 for a 30 mil, and $37.95 for a 120 mil. And then finally, the Premium line, which they're calling the Private Reserve. E-juices from this line cost $9.95 for a 15 mil bottle. $19.95 for a 30 mil and $50 for a 120 mil bottle. So it's cool that they have e-liquids designed for every budget. And all of their e-liquids are made using US sourced ingredients. Uh, their liquids are USP certified and they use only nude nicotine. All of the e-liquids that they sent me to review come from their middle of the road black label line. So Legacy 650, according to their website, is described as succulently sweet, likey fruit dominant amongst other fruits such as juicy lemon and sweet strawberry and this is a 70 vg 30 pge juice and i got six milligrams of nicotine so i'll be testing this using the iStick 100 watt tc with the goon rda on top built at 0.16 ohms and i'll be starting at 75 watts all right let's see what it smells like that smells really good very fruity, and I don't know what likey fruit is, lychee, likey. I don't know what that is. I've never had it before, so I'm not going to be a good judge of that of that flavor. Um, they do mention that juicy lemon and sweet strawberries in here, so I'll I'll see if I can identify those. But this fla this smell that I'm getting is probably likey because I I don't recognize it, and it smells really good, really fruity. Well, that likey fruit. I'm, what I'm pretty sure is likey fruit what I'm getting out of there. It tastes very good I'm not getting a lot of lemon and a lot of strawberry, but I think it's because the throat hit is very harsh I don't know if it's because of new nicotine, which I'm not very familiar with I've used it once, but I don't remember it was a couple years ago or if it's 
because of the fruit flavorings that are making it harsh on my throat, but it's really harsh. Unfortunately, all I'm getting out of this is just a fruity flavor, which I think is the likey fruit. Uh, what I can taste of that is good, but the throat hit is just too harsh for me. The flavor isn't very strong. It's kind of light, but it, it's there. It's good. If I was to get this again, I'd probably get a lower nicotine. Hopefully that would help with the throat hit. Uh, maybe three milligrams. I think I'm kind of sensitive to fruit flavors. Um, I've noticed a lot lately that when I vape fruit flavors, the throat hit really gets me. So it's probably just me. Um, I hate to, to say anything bad about these guys because they've been so nice to me. And they use only quality ingredients. Um, and they use only US sourced ingredients. So th they seem to be a, a really good company. But yeah, this one for me just... I, I just don't care for it. Okay, so I've added this section in after recording the vlog, after recording the podcast, because I felt bad about giving the Classic Vape Company such a negative review on that Legacy 650 e-juice. So after the vlog, I decided to review their other e-juices that they sent me to see if they would still have the same harsh throat hit, and they don't. So they also sent me Platinum Chalice, which is a strawberry, banana, blueberry, and pineapple smoothie flavor, and Clubhouse, which is a caramel, double chocolate, and cinnamon Danish uh, flavor. So both of those are very good and they don't have any throat hit. Uh, well, what they have as much throat hit as, as I would expect. So I just wanted to add that in. So I do definitely think that Legacy 650, that throat hit I was getting, is because I'm sensitive to the fruit flavor. So if you are sensitive to fruit flavors, it might do the same to you. If not, then you'll probably like it. All right, let's get back to the rest of the show. So let's get on to the beer pairing. So this week I have Here Goes a Nothing. It's a Lipzig style Goza created by Distill Brewery out of Bloomington Normal, Illinois. So Goza beers are usually sour, they have an herbal characteristic, and are salty. According to Distill Brewery, this beer has lemon, lime, and other citrus-like qualities. Are, they're balanced by a spicy character of coriander and a mineral mouthfeel from sea salt harvested on the shores of France. So sounds good to me. It also has a score of 86 on Beer Advocate, so it should be pretty good. So let's check it out. Oh man, that's really good. I love sour beers. It um, It's sour and it's salty. Very citrusy for sure. Man, that is a good beer. So flavors that usually pair well with Goza beers are citrus, nutty, and creamy flavors and fruits like orange, lime, lemon, and fig. I really wanted a vape and e-juice from the classic vape company. So the closest to any of these flavors is Legacy 650, the one that I chose. Um, due to the juicy lemon. Uh, so that's why I picked it. Unfortunately, I didn't get much lemon out of it So it might not be the best to pair with this beer, but I'm gonna try it anyway And I also have a couple of backup flavors to try too That's actually pretty good the beer calms down that that harsh throat hit quite a bit actually and I'm getting a lot of fruit out of it that Actually ended up being pretty good. I don't get any, I still don't get any lemon out of it, just the fruit flavor, but let's try some of my backup flavors. So I'm going to use that lemon tart remix Frankenstein that I made last week. Um, has a pretty good lemony bakery flavor. That's good. Lemon definitely goes well with a Goza beer. I was also going to do Pound It from Bonsai Vapors, but I know it's probably going to be good because it's a lemony flavor. Um, I'm just going to end it here. So let's get into some of the topics this week. The Tobacco Control Journal attacks bloggers who criticize them. So in the latest issue of Tobacco Control, a journal published by BMJ Publishing Group, the editors of the journal published an editorial titled Blog Fog, using rapid response to advance science and promote debate. In this editorial piece, the editors state that a lot of decisions go into a study before being published in their journal, including taking into account research quality, the contributions their authors have made to the field, worldwide impact, and relevance to tobacco policies. They also admit that despite careful review, no journal can guarantee that everything they publish is entirely accurate 
or that everyone will agree with the findings or interpretations of the research. They also mentioned that they have a community forum designed for others to analyze, comment on, and debate any of their published research. This article then calls out the growing number of personal blogs and social media accounts being used to criticize published articles from that journal, for example, calling into question the authors of the research, the interpretations of studies, flaws in the research, and attacking authors and editors. They also mentioned that this can be caused by inelegant phrasing on the part of the author or misinterpretations of the reader. Because of this, the Tobacco Control Journal's editors have established a new policy of not responding to any external blog posts or social media messages about their studies. Moving forward, all criticisms and comments will now need to be made within their community forum if the reader wants their voice to be heard or to receive a response from the authors. Personally, I think they're doing a real disservice to their authors and the general public. Uh, I can understand that some attacks on these studies and their authors can be really nasty and offensive sometimes, in which case I wouldn't want to respond either if I was, that, if I was the researcher. But they're pretty much saying here that any critique from an external site is not legitimate, or at least not as legitimate as it would be if it was on their own forum. But as we know, and all researchers know too, not all peer-reviewed articles are accurate either. Many studies have false information and biased results. Who's to say that a blog post on another site isn't trustworthy or accurate? What about commentaries from blogs such as from Dr. Michael Siegel, or Brad Rodu, Clive Bates, or Dr. Konstantinos Farsalinos? All day long, the tobacco control editors can believe that their community forum is the only trustworthy source for critiques and comments, but who else other than them will feel the same way? Is someone going to find a critique on a blog such as my own and say, oh, this this isn't on Tobacco Control's website, uh, so I'm not going to believe a word of it? No. What if I critique a study and I get something wrong and it's seen by hundreds of people? The authors are now no longer allowed to respond to articles like mine. Even if their comment would prove me wrong and make me look stupid, I would rather the truth be told. But as Dr. Sussman points out in a guest post on antithrlies.com, the Tobacco Control Journal looks like any other respectable scientific journal, but it's not actually what it seems. Tobacco Control is a journal consisting of mostly physicians, lawyers, and non-scientists whose main goal is to advocate for, the, for specific tobacco regulation policies, mainly banning all nicotine usage. The journal even discourages authors from submitting valuable scientific material if it doesn't further the advancement of their goals for regulatory policies. They're pretty much known to publish poor quality and flawed research. They also have very strict guidelines on who they accept to comment in their forums, as well as strict guidelines on the types of comments that they will allow to be published. And while they claim that they will no longer respond to outside criticisms of their articles, articles, their authors rarely, if ever, responded to comments on their studies. I'm really not sure what the point was of Tobacco Control's announcement. They can't control what people say about them on other websites. And the authors weren't responding to outside criticisms in the first place. It could be that they were trying to prevent their authors from responding to criticisms and making themselves look like fools. Or it could be that they want their readers to believe that they actually read criticisms and take them into account in the future. Whatever their reason, their latest statement makes them look even more ridiculous and less like a reputable journal. Alright, let's move on to the next topic. An old study says that nicotine was found in zero nicotine e-juice. I was watching a recent live show from DIY or Die and they brought up a study claiming that zero nicotine e-juices were tested to have nicotine in them. And I searched for this study and I found that what I believe to be the study they were referencing was actually published in January 2015, so it's a bit old at this point. That study found that 47% of 36 different e-liquids showed differences above plus or minus their stated nicotine concentration. All 36 samples came from four manufacturers, South Beach Smoke, V2, Premium, and E-Smoke. E-Smoke was the closest to being accurate, but South Beach Smoke, V2, and Premium were found to have anywhere from about 6% to 41% lower levels of nicotine than what was stated on the packaging. And the researchers then pointed out that other studies have found significantly higher levels, but not actually in their study. This study didn't find any zero nicotine e-juices to have had nicotine, but it references another much older study that did. 
And this older study from 2011 found that two manufacturers, Smoking Everywhere and CIXI, had nicotine in their zero nicotine e-juice. Smoking Everywhere had at most 0.1 milligrams of detected nicotine, and CIXI had up to 21 milligrams of detectable nicotine. Now this study is so old that I don't even think it's relevant anymore. I'm not positive that I'm looking at the same study that the DIY or Dye team was looking at, but I couldn't find any other studies talking about this. But let's say that this is actually happening. There are basically two reasons why zero nicotine e-juice might have nicotine. Bad lab practices or companies adding small amounts for steeping purposes. So if a manufacturer is using the same equipment to make non-nicotine e-juice without properly cleaning it, trace amounts might end up in the e-juice. Another more deviant reason would be that the manufacturer is adding small amounts to their e-juice so that it steeps quicker and tastes better. And that's because nicotine increases the oxidation of flavorings, which helps bring out a fuller, more developed flavor. Now, if a company is for some reason using contaminated equipment, there's one thing that they should do before shipping out zero nicotine e-liquids, and that's titration. So titration is the process of slowly adding a solution to another solution until the color changes, allowing someone to determine the concentration of an ingredient, in this case, nicotine. If an e-liquid manufacturer identifies nicotine in a zero nicotine e-juice, it absolutely should not be sold as a zero nicotine e-juice. Not only does this look bad on our industry, but it's also extremely unethical. I really don't see why this would be much of a problem with most manufacturers these days, especially because most manufacturing lines use a specialized device to add nicotine and only nicotine. If any of you guys out there know what study they were looking at, if maybe I'm looking at the wrong one, please let me know because I'd like to see it, but I, I really don't think it's happening. All right, let's move on to the next topic. So electronic cigarettes can now be UL certified. So have you ever noticed that small UL logo on a product? UL is a global organization that tests, inspects, audits, verifies, and certifies compliance and safety of products. Their experts do everything from testing the safety of hoverboards and drones to testing and verifying if jewelry is fake. They have experts that can test and verify pretty much everything, and now they're accepting vaping products. On March 20th, 2017, UL announced that they are now accepting product submittals for electronic cigarettes. They, they will run tests, perform construction evaluations, and perform North American certifications. They will look at the device, the rechargeable battery, electrical heating and charging systems, but they will not be evaluating e-liquids, wicks, or other particulate matter. UL has been testing and certifying batteries, battery-powered devices, and battery charging systems for many years. I think this is great news. This has nothing to do with improper care of removable batteries, but one major concern that many of us have are fears of our batteries overheating while charging them, uh, for example, overnight. And it's why many people suggest never charging with a USB cable and only charging while you're in the same room. UL will also be looking at any other potential electrical issues, such as poor wiring, low quality soldering, faulty chips, and anything else that might be a safety issue. So I can't see why this wouldn't be a good thing. UL certification isn't a requirement for vaping products and it won't mean that it can't be legally sold anywhere. It's simply a symbol of quality. And that's not to say that something UL certified is impervious to failure but it can definitely make you feel a little safer. I'm interested to see how many vape products actually make the cut or even try to get UL certified. All right, the next topic here, Australia rejects an appeal to make nicotine containing e-liquids legal. So vapors of Australia were very optimistic of finally being able to buy e-liquid containing nicotine after the New Nicotine Alliance Australia, NNA, submitted a proposal asking the government to support e-cigs as a harm reduction method. The Therapeutic Goods Administration, TGA, the Australian government's health department, responsible for regulating medicinal products, had previously banned nicotine in e-cigs as a controlled substance, making it illegal to sell. The new Nicotine Alliance proposed that in light of all the recent evidence supporting the benefits of electronic cigarettes in reducing harm from smoking, that nicotine-containing e-liquids 
should be made legal to sell. Unfortunately, that proposal was reviewed by the TGA and rejected. Rather than looking at the UK government's view that vaping is 95% safer than smoking, they specifically mentioned the recent US Surgeon General's report that claims that vaping might attract youth. The TGA claimed that nicotine presents a risk of poisoning, risks of addiction, and that there is little evidence that vaping will not have negative effects in the long term. They also mentioned that they support cessation of smoking rather than harm reduction. And then they closed out their final decision with a statement saying that it's still possible that e-cigarettes might be approved to be used as a smoking cessation aid at a later time. So while this recent news is disappointing to vapors and smokers in Australia, hopefully more positive evidence presents itself and changes the minds of the TGA in the future. All right, one last topic this week. A Billion Lives is coming to iTunes. Now here's some news that many of us have been waiting a long time to hear. A Billion Lives, the pro-vaping documentary that exposes the corruption of the government, health organizations, and the pharmaceutical industry, is finally going public. A Billion Lives is now available to pre-order on iTunes and is expected to launch on April 12th. And they are nearly approved on getting the film on Google Play and Amazon with other platforms in the works. This movie is an hour and 34 minutes long, and you can pre-order the HD version for $12.99 or the SD version for $9.99. So finally, for those of us who weren't able to make the limited theater showings that they had, we will finally be able to see it. They're also offering a limited collector's edition Blu-ray for stores and online retailers who order them bulk wholesale. So if you own a vape shop and want to carry it, contact A Billion Lives on Facebook or email james at attentionera.com and I'll provide a link in the show notes. And if you're a consumer, they will be sending out a final list of retailers carrying the film when they have it ready. Now this is a movie that speaks to the choir. We as vapers are already convinced that vaping is saving our lives. So if you know someone who smokes, consider buying this movie simply so that you can watch it with them. Aaron Bieber, the director of the film, is also asking for a little support in helping to get the movie in front of the masses. So he's asking that you pre-order the film on iTunes to improve the sales data and get iTunes to show it in their popular movie section. All pre-order data will hit the day that it's launched, which they've timed to fall on a slow movie release day, making it more likely to hit the top 10 charts. So this is cool and I'm really excited to see it. Okay, so that's all I have for this week. You'll find the show notes for this episode on vapepassion.com. Just do search for episode 61. If you want to support the show, consider donating to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash vapepassion. You can follow me on Twitter at vapepassion, and I'm also on Facebook if you want to leave me a comment. If you like the show, I'd love it if you gave me a review on iTunes. You can also catch the video version of the podcast on YouTube. If you'd like to get notifications of new reviews or of the show, you can sign up to receive my weekly email on vapepassion.com. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me anytime at alex at vapepassion.com. Okay, I'll see you next week.